Happy Halloween, everybody. Today we would like to celebrate with an encore episode of our spotlight of legendary horror manga creator Ito Jinji. This episode was recorded in 2020 and is our 18th episode, so you'll hear some noticeable differences in our audio and see the growth that we've had over the last three years. We will be back in late November for a new episode, so uh, in the meantime, enjoy the show. Are your kids renting a movie this weekend? Horror films like these are the most popular choice. Graphic orgies of blood and violence. And they watch 15 murders in an hour and a half. Children mesmerized. I like the gore. <laughs> but are they harmless? It's always a female victim, and it's generally in a sexual context. With reports that life may now be imitating art, Bob Brown shows you what the kids are watching. VCR Horrors. Hey guys, welcome back to the Otaku Host Club podcast. You're here with your girl, Amelia, and uh, we've got... Dan, I'm here. I have Today I have two grilled cheese sandwiches and a plate of sweet potato fries. It is it is snowing outside. I'm wearing my Hibernate Rinmai shirt. Very on topic. Very. Um, yeah. Oh. I'm ready to talk about Junji Ito. Nice. I was gonna. Um, can we just pretend I'm wearing my Junji Ito shirt <laughs> since yeah. you know nobody can see me? <laughs> I can. I can see it in my mind. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Jeff here. I am wearing my Jinju Itu shirt and I got green tea and I feel nuts because it has a lot of caffeine in it. Ah. It's actually matcha green tea, I should oh, say. Okay. Extra caffeine. So guys, you want to, you want to talk about some horror? Yeah. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Jeff, you can edit that out. <laughs> His hair starts coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Actually, it's tur- it, it turns into it turns into some kind of thing from uh, Junji Ito. Mama. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to know what your what your guys' favorite horror animes are. I'm gonna go with a classic. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I I mean. You can name three because I can't pick one. <laughs> yikes! So the original Wait, Vampire Hunter D. <laughs> you said, "Yikes! I don't think I have three. Yeah, well, you know, and as you as you mentioned, Vampire Hunter D. Like, I would not think of Vampire Hunter D as a as a horror thing. So maybe my idea of horror is just too narrow. Well, actually, That's the problem. on Mal, it is under the horror genre. But, oh well. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, this this is kind of why I wanted to um pose the question because um there are a lot of things that i feel like are deemed horror that i don't specifically feel like are actual horror anime you know because there's there's like parasite you know technically um like uh berserk or um i don't know like i guess more recently like the promised neverland or doro Hidoro, like those are all like considered like horror but to me they're not they're not specifically horror they're more like supernatural and like maybe gory but like um or like dealing with like uh supernatural elements um so i think it's interesting uh to talk to talk about like horror anime what's the well let's define it then 
Let's define what horror is, you know? Yeah, and I, I, it's shocking to me that somebody would think that Berserk or Doro Hedor qualify <laughs> as, as horror anime. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what someone's justification for that would be because I, Doro Hedoro doesn't make any sense to me at all, as there's nothing about it that's horrific. Berserk certainly has its moments of, of horror, you know, thinking more strictly of the original one because. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to talk about the new ones, of course, but mm-hmm. the original one ends on a pretty horrific note, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think the the main thematic purpose and point of Berserk is not to horrify you. It just, the horror is just part, you know, it's a natural part of the story. It's a part of the plot. Mm-hmm. If it's horrifying, it's because they're doing a good job of executing the story as they've mapped it out. But mm-hmm. it's not it's not a horror story. It's not meant to horrify you. It is meant to tell you know extremely deep and and um dense, you know, emotionally nuanced story of these three characters and their, you know, love triangle and their hopes and dreams and their sense of humanity and whatnot. That's not really like a horror type of topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean as as a definition, it's just an intense feeling of fear shock or disgust right mm-hmm. that's the base definition or a, you know it also says a thing causing a feeling of fear shock or disgust um which is the same thing right mm-hmm. um and then but as a genre like you think of alfred hitch alfred hitchcock right yeah and yeah. that's considered horror but it's yeah. not violent it's not yeah. body horror i don't feel yeah. like that one is like intently scary to me well, get, like, well, it doesn't have to be scary, though. Fear. I don't get fear from it. I'm not like, <gasps> oh, my but it's God. Sh- but it's shocking, right? You know. I guess. It, and especially for the day. And I think mm-hmm. because we've been desensitized to a lot of horror. Exactly. I think that is exactly. actually my issue, is I have yeah. been mm-hmm. completely desensitized because of how much horror I watch. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, Alfred Hitch- I'm a big Alfred Hitchcock fan, and I, I grew up watching those movies. and the per like the purpose of movies like psycho and like birds is to uh shock you and horrify you like that is their goal is to make you unsettled so i would say yes those are definitely horror movies if they don't hit home at this point it's i think that has more to do with the you know kind of large scale um desensitization and and pushing of culture forward in the last like 40 years or whatever um, that Mm. these movies have existed but Mm -hmm. yeah those are definitely horror movies for me the horror movie that fucked me up was that movie audition that 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 really sticks out to me i remember watching that in high school high school i might have been in college Um, but i watched it at my grandparents house over the summer and dude, that shit scared me so much. I had to sleep with the lights on. I was like <laughs> absolutely fucking terrified by this movie. Um, yeah. Mine was Thirteen Ghosts. Mm. That shit fucked me up. Uh, the Bone Collector. That shit fucked me up. Oh, that's cool. I remember like screaming in the middle of the night after watching that. <laughs> and I think because horror is. It's not. It's not specific to one culture, too, right? So, so horror in in America or Western culture, it might be different from or is different than Amer- an Asian, you know, Asian horror. Mm-hmm. What what they might consider to be scary, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's why when I watch 
remember the big the big horror boom in Japan in the two thousands oh, with like yes. Ringu oh, and yes. um, the Grudge. The Grudge. Mm-hmm. That shit scared. That that was the scariest thing I've ever watched. Those those movies. Mm-hmm. And I think because it it wasn't something I was used to. I think it's because for the most part in those movies, it's not, you're not watching gore. You're not watching like a person like Mm. do harm to another person, which is like a lot of what Western horror is, especially, you know, their genres, but you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas like the, uh, the Japanese idea of horror is something that isn't tangible that you can't see. Or supernatural. Yeah. Or it's like something that like is very spiritual or like, yeah, which is like that stuff is like stuff that, might not be scary in like visually, but like will stay in your brain for later. <laughs> and when you're at home yeah. alone in the dark and you hear something, you're like, fuck man, mm-hmm. Juan's coming to get me. Mm-hmm. One missed call, one missed call. Um, uh, I really like that one. And uh, there's a couple horror, like Japanese horror movies that I loved um, called like The Wishing Stairs, um, February 14th. Um, uh, I, I went into a really big like Japanese horror phase where I torrented a whole bunch of uh, mm. Japanese horror movies. Um, Tattoo of the Iron Man. That, would that be one for you? No, not not for me. Yeah, personally. I, I love I love that movie, but I wouldn't say it's a horror movie. Yeah. I, think I guess it's. I guess it I is. It, it would be because it, it's shocking and and yeah, and, you know, and mm-hmm. and perhaps just in someone else's eyes, that mechanical element, that industrial element, mm-hmm. that you know, like very claustrophobic feel, mm-hmm. yeah, scare someone. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I I I do understand what you mean, and it is it is a movie that like provokes an unsettling atmosphere in the way mm. that we're describing, like that is what horror movies are, are, you know, we think that horror as a genre should be, should be standardized as, I guess I, I don't really have a good argument for why I would say Tetsuo the Iron Man is not a horror movie along those lines. But in my brain, I really categorize that more as, as like an art film that I mm. do like mm-hmm. a horror movie or something like that. And maybe, maybe it can be both simultaneously. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking too rigidly here. And in a lot of ways, you know, there, there are many movies of, of a similar ilk, um, you know, like the man behind the sun, you know, like mm-hmm. might be a horror movie, but I think of that more as an art type of thing. I kind of and, feel like um, a lot of Hideshi Hino's work is, classified as horror but also in that more like art house style where there's like a, a very distinct like representation of images yeah okay you know i guess i'm used to what I, maybe this is the the you know a, a unintuitive way of thinking about it but i'm, I'm used to thinking of the more gory and un- unsettling something is the more artistic it must be <laughs> you know, like, truly this is fine art you know <laughs> It's like, is this a B movie? And they they used uh, all the special effects that they they knew how. That makes it art. Hmm. Well, have you guys heard of um, Lovecraft's Country? I think we talked about this last night, Amelia. Mm. It's an HBO series. I've heard about um, it based on a novel. I think, it's not, Mor- I think Morgan's watching it. I think okay. that's how I heard about it. 
and there's a lot there's a lot more tv now that's uh that has it's aimed towards black a black audience or has more casting like specifically i think us and get out mm-hmm. kind of spurred that or you know was the catalyst yeah mm-hmm. exactly and now that and now that the the studios know that it's profitable we have this you know on tv the same things happening mm-hmm. and lovecraft country is i think a perfect jumping point from get out and and us and and what horror is to african americans in the us the united states and mm. That as a type, different type of horror, all in it. I think that could be a whole genre in and in, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, you know what what one group of people experience on a daily can be considered horror, and you don't really see that as much. We had like Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. I think that was a, the only example I can think of. Growing up, that was one of the scariest and <laughs> one of the scariest things I watched as a kid. Wow. Uh, and even just was it tales tales from the tales from the hood and tales from the crypt are just more or less the same thing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but ones you know aimed at a different audience. Yeah, you know what was the scariest thing I watched as a kid? Hmm. America's Most Wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember us talking about this. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm Jeff. I'm I'm curious. <clears throat> about your your thoughts of um the genre of horror you know horror movies as applied to you know black americans which i agree is uh has every possibility of becoming a new fully fledged genre of, of film um and i think that'd be really great and i'm i'm you know i'm ready for it you know i want to check it out but as we as we say that i'm kind of curious what you think the effect would have been if get out and us were cast with you know kind of standard white cast rather than black actors and black families and i get the get out doesn't really make sense beyond the the kind of um racial context presented in the movie like i don't think you could make mm-hmm. get out with all white people and have that really make sense like yeah you could have like really athletic white people, but it really doesn't have the same cultural connotation. Um, but us could feasibly be done by, you know, with all white people. Mm. Do we think that that loses effect or loses theme in, in that movie? If it were, if it were all white people or just is, you know, the, the black cast central to understanding us. Uh, it's not as important, but I think it's, it's still, mm, it's a good question. I gotta, I gotta think a little bit harder about the plot in that movie, you know? And are, do we think there's any other like horror Mm. movies that immediately leap to mind that if we were to, I guess, start swapping out the cast, like if we did. I don't know, like Friday the Thirteenth with all black characters. You know, mm. would would that make Friday the Thirteenth a categorically different movie? Would it provoke a different feeling in us? Hmm. Probably, but I think the horror genre as a whole resonates with 
African-Americans because of the daily horror. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's not relevant if those movies were switched. I don't want to be a spokesperson for <laughs> Oh well, yeah, that's fair. I don't, for, I don't really need to put you community. In, yeah, I don't. I, uh, I'm more curious in your own personal feelings rather than the, the yeah. feelings of Black Americans in general. But I, and I really I, haven't, uh, I haven't thought too deeply about that element. But I think because I've been watching Lovecraft Country, that I, I've actually started to think about these things. There's actually a really good companion podcast that goes along with it, hmm. and they talk about a lot of the themes in the show and give you more context to why they're there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's important just, just in general to have representation throughout yes. all mediums, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think we're learning that. It's just taking us a while. So I, I have too long. I have a, a good anecdote about that, um, which was really the first time that I appreciated the power and the value of representation and visibility. And this is, you know, like you know, up to this point in my life, like, of course I, you know, like tacitly understood that these things are important, but I, I couldn't really demonstrate to you in a practical sense why I just, you know, like we're told that they are and like, yeah, okay. Intuitively it all makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. But this really came into play in my life um, in 2014. When I was on tour with um, this, there's a large tour, it was two American bands and then a band from Mexico and a, a band from Japan. And it was after our gig in Philly, it was like two or three in the morning and we all went to McDonald's because it was the only thing open nearby um, to get food. And we went in there and it's like, you know, just, just like handful of of um, you know black people in there and the two japanese are like they're kind of fidgeting and they seem really nervous and i was like you know what what's up guys like are you guys doing okay and they're like uh yeah we're just kind of freaked out because there's so many black people here and i was like whoa really like that's kind of awkward in my opinion. Like it, why, why would you feel that way? That's so weird. And the Mexican mm. guys were like, Oh, actually we feel kind of on edge too. And I was like, you guys are from Mexico city. It's one of the more dangerous places in the world. I, I cannot fathom how you could perceive this situation as the least bit threatening compared to what you mm. undergo on your home turf in Mexico. And the Mexican guys were like, yeah, but the only thing we know, like we don't really have black people in Mexico in this way. The only thing we know about black people is what we see in American movies and, and media and the news, which is that all black people are, you know, they're they're thugs, they're they're you know criminals. They're all gonna gonna you know rob us and and mm -hmm. hurt us and whatnot. So like that's that's the only experience we ever have with with black people is what you guys show us, and that's all you ever show us. And then it really, like, I had never thought about it like that before. And it really dawned on me, like, damn, you know, like, you know, we grow, you know, being in Baltimore, growing up in Baltimore is a majority black city. So I don't, I don't really think anything about it. Right. Like, I know that like, yeah, you know, my neighbors, the people in my life, like they're just people, right. Like, and, mm -hmm. and they're not any one way or another, any more than anybody else. But if you, yeah, lived in an area where you had literally no interaction with black people and you relied entirely on media, then, you know, that sinks in the more, you know, as you live your life and the more media you consume, it, it subconsciously seep, you know, sinks in. And yeah, it just really 
dawned on me at, at that time. It was like a, a switch flicked, and I was like, man, like representation and visibility in media is actually like incredibly important and it really is meaningful and it really does have an impact on people and and on the way they live their lives and the way they think about mm -hmm. their lives mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting uh and i think that's just part of the whole society being racist is not always on the, someone you know calling someone a racist slur it's it's this generalization of of a, you know, stereotypes and things like that of, of, a, of quote unquote race, mm -hmm. you know, it's institutionalized. And as I think that's, that's a shame, but I, I, I guess, um, you know, where, <laughs> where do we grow? I guess, you know, how do we grow from that, from getting out of that mindset, yeah. especially from other, from other countries, other, uh, the idea of what how they perceive us you know yeah and americans in general <laughs> yeah but i i do think that the uh from my from my own perspective i feel like we make progress when movies like get out and us see you know mainstream success and see commercial success and critical success mm -hmm. that you know the doors become you know increasingly opened for a wider variety of voices and a wider variety of stories to be told and i'm i'm personally i'm i'm quite anxious to to see these kinds of stories you know because i mm. i want to better understand the world around me i want to know you know like more about uh, other lives and experiences beyond just my own you know um so i'm i'm quite keen on all this stuff and i i think yeah, right now it's just a handful of movies, you know, like, but it, you know, that's how it starts, right? It starts with Get Out. It starts with Crazy Rich Asians. And then 10 years from mm. now, like, uh, hopefully more people will, um, you know, believe that, that it's possible to make these kinds of movies and, and the biz more business will feel like it's profitable to make these kinds of movies. And suddenly the, the world of media and art becomes that much more rich and interesting. Mm -hmm. mm. That's the power of art, right? Power of music, art, mm -hmm. film. The um, power of anime. Power of anime. <laughs> I would, well, yeah. I mean, that's and and I think we've learned as anime fans specifically. I think this is a good example of us being more open-minded to Asian art and ideas and religion, maybe even. Mm -hmm. It kind of gives us a new window. Mm -hmm to look through um so damn what's your favorite horror anime though <laughs> uh yeah to be honest i'm i'm not i don't think of myself as being much of a horror guy in general i, mm -hmm. I would not that is not a ranking genre for me and i'm i'm not really that interested in horror as a as an idea um, if I had to choose a favorite horror movie or horror anime, um, I don't know. Does Wicked City count? Like, I, I, I think so. Yeah, I feel like that counts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I like Wicked City. I don't. I don't really. I can't. I saw. I saw um, Higurashi, you know, in college. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really good, but. Mm -hmm. And there was that that other one, um, 
I think I mentioned on the Discord at one point Shin, Shin, uh, Shiki about vampires. Mm, and I, I yeah. thought that was all right. Mm, but mm. in general, I, I don't really like seek out horror anime or horror movies at all. And um, yeah, I, I think if they cross my path, it's mostly for other reasons. Mm. Yeah. Are you ever a fan of Helsing? Uh, you know, I, I think I might have watched the bad Helsing, not the good one. I don't remember exactly. It's been a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Helsing's fine, but it, it didn't really do much for me. I think as a genre, though, it doesn't, there really isn't a huge, it doesn't go back that far when I think of classic anime. You know, because most of the stuff that was coming out in pre-2000s was, or even, say, 90s, it was sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a genre, a horror genre, to really build upon, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, what about uh, The Legend of the Overfiend? Does that count as horror? If, that's, if that counts as horror, then that's definitely my number one. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. Yeah. I would, I would, I would say it's, it's horror, in my opinion. That's my number one. Yeah, it's cool. People Wish. exploding and demon <laughs> penises and you know, yeah. the whole nine yards. You know, the little demons that every time they make somebody orgasm, that person explodes into a giant, you know, mess of guts and blood. It's like, oh, wow, cool orgasm, you know. And that was in the eighties, right? That was an eighties anime, I believe. Mm, could be. Should we should we do a should we review that? That would be interesting. I'm down. I would do that for sure. <laughs> I would watch it for sure. My favorite has got to be Perfect Blue. We already know this. I talked about that in the Perfect Blue episode. Mm. But um, other Higurashi is up there. Um, my like generally when I watch horror, my favorite like kind of horror is like psychological but also like slashers like i super love Mm. slashers that's like my favorite um Mm. and i feel like higurashi brings in like that slasher vibe like really well like building tension and building like uh atmosphere and uh stuff like that so higurashi is definitely up there for me um and then nobody ever talks about it but like hell girl oh it's Mm. not even on my radar if you guys have seen, yeah. So Hellgirl is basically, um, and the reason why I like this one is because it's got like, it's it's got this element of um, like rumor, like internet rumor. So like the whole premise is this girl is, um, you go to a website at a specific uh, time and day and you type in the name of the person that you want to go to hell. And then uh, the the um, hell girl will come and like take her to hell, take the person to hell. So if, and it, the website only appears if you have an extreme like dislike or like an extreme need for this person to be out of your life. Or like, if you feel so strongly that this person needs to go to hell, that's the only time that the website will like appear. Um, And um, I, I feel like, it is a little like it's definitely like an episodic show. Each episode is like uh, another person's count um, of like 
something bad happening to them, like abuse or like, you know, whatever. And Mm. um, then they have then they get Enma to bury them to hell. Mm. And um, so I kind of get like why it might not be on a lot of people's radars, kind of like, I don't know. Watching Power Rangers, <laughs> there's no like overarching plot, but um, that one I, I really enjoyed just because of the like internet rumor thing. I'm going to jot it down. I'll watch yeah. it eventually. Yeah, I think it has like four seasons. And uh, one of this, the newest season came out, I think, last year or the year before. that. OK, OK. OK. Studio Dean. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Studio Dean did it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, if you're listening, don't don't watch it. You probably you might not like it. <laughs> <laughs> is, he a, is he a hater yeah. of uh, Studio Dean? He, he has feels. He has feelings oh, about it. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, well, it makes me jump into Hellboy or uh, Hellboy. Oh my God. What are you talking about, Hellboy? Devil Man. <laughs> <laughs> Double Man Crybaby is now that we're talking about favorites. I think that's that's probably one of my favorites. Does that not does that favorite. qualify as a horror? The rave scene does. I feel like. Oh, I guess one, it's demonic. Once again, it it just it feels artistic to me. Yeah, it just goes back. <laughs> this goes back to the to the whole just defining yeah. what the genre is. I mean, yeah. like. It's like, it, I feel like it's up, it's kind of like Parasite. There's like, you know, there's like that, I don't know. Blood and Guts I mean, is only so horrific, you know? If you compare it to Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Okay. We're comparing you know, Devil Man Crybaby to Kobayashi's <laughs> Dragon Maid now. Well, yeah, <laughs> I would, I would say Devil Man Crybaby is a, quite a bit more horrific than Kobayashi's yeah. Dragon Maid. Yeah. <laughs> We <laughs> have, you know, if you have two ends of a spectrum, and Kobayashi's on one, <laughs> Devil Man is. I would, I would think it's on the other side. But what do I know? I love, I love, I love that segment. <laughs> I mean, you compare the original Devil Man, the Gonan Guy version. Mm. That's not very scary. That's true. More like an action mm-hmm. type anti-hero type story mm-hmm. i also think horror can be comedic too oh yeah like every zombie movie ever yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think horror doesn't have to be so serious and uh you know it doesn't have to, the tone tonally doesn't have to be realistic or yeah, i guess like you know, when i think of horror i think of like what scares me or like what um Mm. like what i fear and if it's something if i'm watching something and i'm not scared about it i feel Mm -hmm. like mate that's where my like where i draw the line because like you could art like you could argue that high school of the dead is horror because it's about zombies you know it's a zombie Mm -hmm. anime but Mm. it's very comedic and it's not like it's very it's like, fun yeah yeah it's not like um what am i trying to say um i don't get scared watching it you know but it is about something that is could that is scary you know yeah 
when you say it like that, this is this is why I do not really care for horror type stuff as a genre because I don't really like I don't like to be scared. I'm easily I'm easily scared. I'm extremely easily startled. I like get so sucked into tv and in media and stuff like it's also like you know i why i'm always crying at any given you know tv show or whatever i get like so sucked into it and it's the same, same with horror movies and stuff i get so sucked into it and like every little thing scares the shit out of me and i'll get like so sucked into the mood and same. it's just like yeah it's, it's too much you know it's but I really like that feeling. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You know, it's so funny. We were watching Hocus Pocus last night, and I've seen Hocus Pocus so many times. But then when when, when Thor Birch is crying about Binks being dead for the last time and he might not come back, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting so teary-eyed over here. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for lighting the candle. I shall always be with you. for a virgin to light a candle even though you know, I know the outcome yes i know i know what's happening i've seen it yeah. i've seen it a million times and i'm like <laughs> but yeah i i i like being scared also i feel like um if i can learn anything from horror it's probably how to get out of certain situations <laughs> So I'm yeah. very keen to see every single possible situation that I might be put into in my life and how to get out of it. Yeah, I, I learned that you don't have to run the fastest. You just have to run faster than the guy next to you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've learned you don't stab downwards. You stab upwards if you're trying to kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because your for your force doesn't when you're hitting downwards, you're you don't put have enough force behind it. But if you just go upwards, it's quicker, and uh, you can just put all your force behind it. Interesting. Makes sense because like you're the, using the weight of the person, yeah, mm -hmm. as the drive the knife. Mm -hmm. Does that work for throwing punches too? Uh, uh, oh. Depends what like fighting style I feel like you're going for. Yeah, word. Karate is all like ba -ba -ba -ba. yeah, right from the sides. Interesting. Never knew that about stabbing somebody. I'll keep that yeah. in mind. Yeah, good, good uh, information for later. You know, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Special nugget of information that'll help me later. Yep. Mm -hmm. I sleep with a knife next to my bed. Really? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> How big is it? That's the question. It's not very big. Oh. Yeah. Uh, which reminds me, I, I was taking a nap yesterday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you need to upgrade. I need a machete. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I woke up from a nap yesterday, uh, startled, because someone knocked the router off the countertop mm. and they screamed and i was you know falling asleep and then i woke up i was like oh shit someone's in the house so i grabbed my knife 
and I go out, you know, I go out to the living room and it's just Kara. She just knocked a, just knocked it off. The, yeah. The as you were saying this, I was like, <laughs> someone is Kara. Yeah. yeah no, it was me. I broke in the house and knocked yeah, yeah. over the router. So Jeffrey could not play any Xbox games. <laughs> I was downloading the uh, 40 gig uh, war zone update. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm curious about your knife habits, Jeff. Uh, what what prompted you to start sleeping with a knife right next to you? You know, I don't know because before this place, I lived with four other roommates, hmm. and there was always somebody home. And for whatever reason, when I moved into this place, it's one level. We're on the top floor, which you think would be more secure. But I just have this fear. I guess, you know, going into what scares you and what, what you have the fear of, it's like someone breaking into my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess I've always had that fear, mm-hmm. even as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, I don't have a gun, so I'm not going to, yeah. like, the knife is the next best thing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's interesting that um, you bring it up. We should all say what we're, what we're afraid of, what scares us. Mm. Anything else, Jeff? What else scares you? Um, fire, or this, the, I guess the fear of being trapped in a house or in a, a space mm-hmm. where I couldn't get out of a, of a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, what else scared me? I used to be very scared of spiders. I used to have a, oh, a yeah. phobia. Are of we spiders. like the same person? Yeah. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, bugs, bugs, and spiders. I have uh, yeah, stories. Can't deal with that shit. Yeah. So when I was little, um, uh, my dad thought it was super funny to tell me that spiders have so many eyes so that they could see when you kill their babies and they could come back Mm. and attack you in the middle of the night. (laughs) I thought that was a funny story to tell me. So afraid of spiders. Um, Another, another thing that happened, uh, you know, my dad being my dad, we were, he was like probably tickle chasing me around the house or something. And um, I had a, black lab when we were little and uh I was like running into my room and it was at nighttime so it was like and I didn't have any lights on in my room and I was running into my room to close the door so that he couldn't tickle me anymore and my dog was in the room and I don't think my dad knew that but um I closed the door and my dad like held the knob so I like couldn't get out because like he's whatever and um I didn't know my dog was in there so then my dog like tries like jumps up and like attacks me because he's like thinking that we're all playing and I had absolutely no idea that my dog was there and it scared the shit out of me and ever since that moment I've been like deathly afraid of the dark so like Mm. whenever I'm at home all of the lights are on every single light Mm. is on I cannot have I cannot not be able to see into a room (laughs) like oh yeah I feel that yeah so I'm super afraid of the dark um and home invasion is like my next top like oh my gosh i think about that all the time <laughs> and i'm like mm. i i don't know i just like that's like the mm. one thing i'm like i hope i never have to deal with that that i don't know if i could like stay in the same place you know we had a, a weird situation akin to home invasion uh two weeks ago here at the apartment Whoa. Some random ass guy just came in and sat. So my apartment building is four apartments, right? There's mine and 
one across the hall and then two above us. And there's like a little stairway, you know, one flight of stairs and another flight of stairs. And you're up to the second floor where the other two apartments are. And some random ass guy, I guess, had just let himself into our apartment building was just chilling in the middle of the stairway, just like relaxing, you know. And I found out about this because my neighbor, uh, my upstairs neighbor came and um, I had just got back from the gym. I was sitting in my car doing some Baltimore style, like you just sit in your car, you know, when you decompress, you know what I mean? Like everybody does that in Baltimore. Um, Yeah. So I'm just sitting in my car, you know, just fiddling on my phone and listening to music and decompressing. And she came and knocked on my window and was like, hey, don't, you know, I, I know you just got back from the gym. Don't, don't, um go in the front because there's just some man on the stairway. I don't know who he is. You know, it's, it's freaking me out. You know, like I don't have my gun with me. I don't know what to do. And I was like, damn, okay. Like, you know, let's, uh, so sure. Thanks for letting me know. Like, let's, let's, you know, walk in the back and, you know, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to take care of this in, in, you know, what do you what do you want to do? Do you want to call the police? Do you want me to go say something? Should we just try to wait it out? And she was like, "Yeah, I think we should call the police because you know there's no no telling what's going to happen." And I was like, "Do you want me to call the police because I'm the only white person in the vicinity?" And she mm-hmm. was like, "Oh yeah, actually, I'd appreciate it if if you wouldn't mind." And I was like, "All right, so uh, I'm going to go talk to this guy and try to you know." do something about this and if it comes to it I'll I'll call the police um for us. So I went and grabbed one of the guys in the apartment next door, one of the the quote unquote college kids um as we call them, although I'm not convinced that any of them are actually in college. Um but I grabbed one of them and then we we just kind of rolled up on this guy and we're like uh are you looking for someone or like why are you in our building and he was just like yeah kind of head propped up just lounging on the ground fiddling <laughs> on a smartphone like no nah, i'm just i'm just warming up but I'll, I'll be out of here i'll be out of here in a minute or two and i was like all right well you know just take 15 minutes to warm up and and then you can just let yourself out and he was like yeah yeah okay that's fine and uh yeah like 20 minutes later i popped my head out and he was gone I just locked the door behind him and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wound up going okay. Um, but also, yeah, like for having this like uh, relatively, for having this extremely mild interaction with this guy on the stairwell, also, you know, like I was kind of excitedly like talking to the the guy that I grabbed from next door. Like, well, you know, I know that wasn't a big deal, but I'm just like, it goes so much easier when when you got somebody with you, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, uh, when there's two of you, that's a very different situation than when it's just one of you. He was mm-hmm. pretty understanding of that. Um, yeah. And I don't want to die. <laughs> the fear of death. Yeah, that's the yeah. one I think about every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the most innate fear that humans have you know mm-hmm. i think some oh, more okay. than others i, I feel I th- like i'm way more scared of disfigurement or you know like dismemberment mm. than i am of death per se like oh. death you know death death is a broad idea you know you can die quick mm. and easy and it's not such a big deal what if the you suffering. got your arm cut off man yeah the suffering like what <laughs> if you got you got your leg cut off you know you're not exactly gonna die from that but mm. you know how terrible yeah slow slow agonizing death is 
like drowning, right? Like that's. I heard that's yeah. the that's beautiful. <laughs> no, 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 because like you're. <laughs> what? Stop, y'all! Stop! I'm gonna explain myself. No, I, I, but yeah, sorry, but I, I know, I know what you mean. Actually, because I've read the same thing that it, it yeah. is like you know, because your brain oxygen deprivation. Yes. Is, yeah. <laughs> you, because your uh, your body dies before your brain does, so then you get to you know be beautiful and floating in the water. Mm. Yeah. I guess if you're not panicking, and it's like euphoria, it's apparently euphoric. Yeah. Okay. I would hate to be burned alive. Oh my god. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see fire. Yeah. And I'm like I want to be as far away from you as possible. <laughs> Please. Yeah. There's a scene in in Lovecraft Country. Uh, not just it doesn't really spoil anything, but there's a scene where two characters in, are in a house and there's a lynch mob outside. Hmm. Um, this is in, um, during the uh, Tulsa massacre. And uh, so the family's upstairs and you know that the house is going to burn down. The main character knows the house is going to burn down. And, but the one, one, of the, one of the characters has a protection spell and the other one doesn't. And the one that doesn't have the protection spell, uh, you know, is in the house. The house starts to starts to go up in flames, and she catches on fire, and she has to watch. The other character has to watch her burn. And like that scene, to me, it, the way it played out was just very horrific. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine though, like having to like watch someone die, and you were able to survive? No, that could be a whole fear in itself. Yeah. Like, Guilt. Survivor's guilt. Yeah. Survivor's guilt. Yeah. As a kid, everything I thought I was gonna die all the time. Like I'd be, we would take the bus, you know, from from Baltimore to New York City to see family, and I would think of all the ways that the bus could be destroyed. Oh my gosh! Wow. Interesting. <laughs> Literally every before I think about like if I'm thinking about going somewhere like driving. I'm like, damn, I got to pay attention because, you know, I don't want to rear end anyone. I don't get in an accident. What happens if like this happens and then I hit this person and then blow up and then like I get in the car and like, obviously I'm like a great driver and I'm like, <laughs> I'm good. But like, <laughs> I always, I always have to predict all the craziest things in my head before I even get behind the wheel that freaks me out. <laughs> that same, same kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still feel the invincibility of youth over here. These things <laughs> never factor into my mind whatsoever. Uh, I get way more terrified of social interaction than I do of like any amount of bodily harm or, you know, risk of whatever life threatening really? things. These things mm. don't, don't impact me whatsoever. I feel like you're a pretty social person though. Mm. Yeah. But in other ways I like can't, well, I guess further into my adult life, I've learned how to actually like ask somebody at Barnes and Nobles for help finding a book, which mm. is an unimaginable social interaction for me throughout mm. my twenties. Mm. The anticipation, like that anxiety of, yeah, just, just the anxiety of, of, uh, yeah. Talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to spotlight some more, well, I guess, you know, horror, the horror genre at its highest, at its, at its peak, right? 
Ito Junji. The infamous mangaka. Um, he's created Tomie, Uzumaki, and Gyo. This is his most popular works. And he takes a, a bunch of different things that we're scared of, I think, and kind of mashes them all together. Mm -hmm. So my, my experience with um, Junji Ito prior to this, yeah, I, I just read Uzumaki in passing along the way, and I read Gyo in passing along the way since we were going to do an episode about him, and 90 minutes later, we are talking about him. No, I, I read Uzumaki uh, piece by piece at a bookstore over a couple of weeks. I'd just go in and read some of Uzumaki and then go, and I never actually bought it. I just read it. Nice. Um, then I read Gyo at, at um, our host's apartment in, in Reykjavik um, on our second European tour because um, we were just chilling, had time to kill before the gig. Our hosts were cooking. He had Gyo on the shelf, so I just pulled that and read it um, while everyone else was napping and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I ran out last weekend and bought Tomie and, and Gyo and uh, read the two of those. Um, and yeah, shit's legit. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I've, I, I, um, I've always known about Junji Ito, but it's not something that um, I would like inherently want to read only because like I don't normally go for manga. Um, so when I saw that his work was getting an anime adaptation, um, I checked out the first episode and it was terrible. <laughs> and <laughs> so um, for the episode, I was like, hmm, let's let's read some manga. Let's review some some manga and might as well be Junji Ito because he is the quote unquote godfather of horror manga. Um, so I got Uzumaki and Gyo and also Dissolving Classroom hmm. and read through those. Yeah, I stumbled upon him randomly in the manga buying days like right after tokyo pop i think viz when tokyo pop dissolved i think viz bought them um and they were on sale i bought gyo and uzumaki they had you know the, the little volumes like this oh you know when they were releasing them by volume you know i mm -hmm. actually wanted to purchase them by volume i didn't want the hardcover because mm. um hardcovers make me nervous <laughs> <laughs> it's too much pressure to like keep nice <laughs> Work. yeah but well ten dollars a pop isn't bad mm -hmm. you know um and i it wasn't something i was necessarily into i just like the artwork really because mm -hmm. when you when you when you're scrolling through all the manga and everything is schoolgirls and bright colors and stuff you know you get to this thing with fucking dead fish on it mm -hmm. and 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 this girl with tubes coming out of her mouth. Mm -hmm. I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to read this. <laughs> this looks fucking cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably around the time that I watched Tetsuo the Iron Man. Mm. And just like, I got to, what else is new? Like what's, what's different, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was, yeah, it was around like 2004, 2005. And then when, my roommate, this was, I guess it was a year ago or so, my roommate came home and he was wearing this shirt 
that the one that you are wearing right now exact same shirt is it and is it the shirt or did you buy yourself a version i bought my own okay. version okay okay <laughs> and you were like so it's a lot. i stole it off of his back <laughs> <laughs> give me here give me, give me, give me that horror shirt give me that fucking shirt, shirt man. yeah and and i was like where'd you get that fucking shirt i was i was were, i was living man nuts he was nuts though for yeah. this yeah he's like yeah i got it you know i went to the mall i went to the white marsh mall and i i went to the the uh hot topic oh hell yeah that's where i got my junji ito shirt and i was like what they're selling ito jinji shit and I, I, I blew, I blew my top. So I had to go there. I bought, you know, I bought at least three shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a whole collection now. Mm-hmm. Um, Crunchyroll also sells them, uh, different designs. And uh, yeah, it re- reignited my passion for this stuff. And I'm, I would say I'm more of a fan now than I was previously, because you can buy all this work now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all in collections. You can get. The uh, Tomie and Gyo, uh Uzumaki in one large volume hardback, and uh, it makes it makes for a nice collection. I'll just say that, like, like thirty bucks a pop. It's not awful. It's not going to blow the bank, mm-hmm. but if you're like Dan, you can go read them at Barnes and Nobles if you can find a Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> They're going under too yeah. with COVID. Yeah, oh, the one in the harbor shut down. Oh for, shit! Really? That one I mean, has like yeah. five floors. Yeah, twenty or thirty years it's been there. Yeah. yeah, I remember going there when I was in elementary school, and you know we'd go to the aquarium and then mm-hmm. eat at Hard, at the Hard Rock Cafe and pop mm-hmm. by the Barnes and Noble, and I'd sit and read the graphic novels, but I never buy anything. I just sit and read it until my parents say it's time to go. So what do we what do we think about what do we think about the which one should we talk about first? Oh, I thought you were gonna say that something like of serious gravity, but <laughs> oh, thanks, Dan. I thought, thanks, I thought Dan. you were about to take us <laughs> off topic for a reason of real gravity. No, I didn't want us to go on a tangent of like our our time in the Inner Harbor <laughs> when we were children. <laughs> I just wanted to anecdote that it closed down. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, let's start with Tomie because that was his first. That was his outbreak, his big breakout. Here. Yes, and I I feel like you can tell that Tomie was the first because the art is meaningfully less developed than Gyo and Uzumaki, which is not to say mm-hmm. that it's bad, but it's mm-hmm. more like Uzumaki and Gyo are so good, and Tomie, you know, the oh, character we're design just and busting out whatnot our Tomie is... books, and I didn't read Tomie so. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Just, uh, can, I, can, I, can I look off one of you guys? Yeah, here you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, it it yeah. I think the art is noticeably less developed, which is not to say that it's bad, but more to say that Uzumaki and Gyo are so over the top good. And I think the kind of framing. And, and kind of tempo of the storytelling mm-hmm. is not as developed in Tomie, which again is not because Tomie lacks in any way, but it's more that Gyo and Uzumaki are just so out and out masterpieces. Um, and I, I think of that real, I, I guess the most specific way that applies 
And this is something that Mr. Super Eyepatch Wolf talks about in depth on his whole YouTube um, commentary on Junji Ito. It is the art of the page turn. Um, and I think Tomie doesn't have the same level of kind of the the shocking page turn in the same way that Gyo and Uzumaki do, which revolve a lot around you know the last panel of a page will be our characters reacting to mm. something unseen. Then you turn the page and it's a full page, mm-hmm. you know, piece of something really horrific and out of control that, you know, shocks and horrifies you. And Tomie doesn't have that same command of, of tempo. Um, but also, yeah, Tomie is fucking great in its own ways. Right. And it's hot. You know, I want to, I want to be like obsessed with a crazy demon woman and then like chop her up. It all seems like <laughs> really like, Ooh, you know, spicy. Oh my God. At least I get out another one of Dan's kinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Toby is a high school freshman at her school. Uh, and she's, she has an affair with her teacher. Ooh, spicy, spicy sauce. Yeah. And he finds <laughs> <Dan> out. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's like, yes, older ladies. Um, Yeah, so she's on a field trip, right? And the teacher is just like fed up. He doesn't want anything to do with with Tomie. And he knocks her off the cliff uh, that they're they're next to, uh, I guess, their ocean side uh, shore. And she falls off and she dies. So, So in order to hide it, the 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 murder they chop her up and they throw her in the ocean they they disperse her all over japan um but she starts to appear again uh, all over japan um because she's able to regenerate herself um yeah so it's like that is just just the base basis of this comic book well part part of the an important part of the twist of that first chapter um, mm-hmm. that I don't, I don't want to go unnoted is that she doesn't actually die from the, the fall. They just think that she's dead. They, uh, she gets knocked unconscious. The, the, she's get, she gets into an argument with her boyfriend and the boyfriend unintentionally knocks her off the cliff or she like stumbles and falls off the cliff. So it's a manslaughter. And they are they see what they think is this dead Tomie on the ground and the teacher is like, All right, we gotta we gotta cover this up, you know, like we we can't you know we gotta cover this up. The only way we can do this is by dismembering her and you know, then we disperse all of her parts. But then as they start cutting her, she comes back, you know, because she was just knocked unconscious. She wasn't actually dead, so she's getting cut up, you know, like from the first cut she's like ah what are you doing you know and but at that point like the whole class like you know all the all the boys have already disrobed so they don't get blood on their clothes and they're like standing around her with saws and knives and shit and they're just like well there's no turning back you know like what are we gonna be like oh we were going to dismember you and now we're not you know like we're already too invested so they just go ahead and dismember her anyway yeah, I guess the horror of just being killed and dismembered as while you're alive. That I think that is <laughs> that alone is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, and so all these little tomies spread all over Japan and and there's not necessarily a a like linear 
plot progression or anything. It's more like Tomie is a collection of short stories that all focus on the antagonist of Tomie. And her MO is to kind of magically appear in a way that she, you know, replaces someone or kind of steals away someone's boyfriend or um, there's some unsettling way that she inserts herself into someone's daily life and she winds up getting, you know, kind of the male central character of the short story to be obsessed with her. And then the male character kind of turns that obsession into violence and dismembers her all over again. And it's just kind of this ongoing, you know, different, different um, circumstances and, and different swappings of details. You know, we see the ongoing progression of Tomie arrives and kind of disjoints and unsettles um, and partially appropriates somebody's daily life. And then it drives everyone around her totally crazy. And then the male, you know, guy always winds up killing her all over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's definitely themes of being a a vanity, right? Yeah. And jealousy, obsession. Mm -hmm. Cause she's never really, she never really falls in love with anyone. All the male, all all the males are just, they just simply, because she doesn't return reciprocate, uh, feelings of love, then it just drives them mad, right? Yeah, like, she's very emotionally. <laughs> she's very emotionally unavailable, mm-hmm. which has often been my type. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm ready. I'm ready for Tomie to come and steal me away with her emotional unavailability. <laughs> I think I've met people like that. Like they know, they know they're very attractive and they kind of, you can kind of tell that they get off on that, you know, like they're, they, they don't really have necessarily relationships or long lasting relationships. Yeah. But I, every, in some ways I think that is, I mean, there's ways that that's not natural, but in other ways I feel like everyone likes attention, you know, mm-hmm. right. And when you receive attention, it's easy to, yeah, just kind of get caught up in it, even if it's not necessarily reciprocated, or even if it's not necessarily the, um, I don't know, like the attention that you want. And I, I say that even though it sounds kind of like not correct, because like when you receive attention that you don't want, oftentimes that's bad, right? Like mm-hmm. that plays out in a bad way. It's like that is like the meaning of sexual harassment, right? So I'm not saying that that's good. But hopefully you guys understand what I'm what I'm getting at here. Where like you know if like your coworker has a crush on you and you maybe don't want your coworker to have a crush on you, but mm-hmm. also you're like, oh yeah, you know, well, like you, you yeah. like, yeah, now you, I'm hot <laughs> shit I know likes it, me. exactly. You hey. have received you have received the uh, the acknowledgement, right? You you receive this the feeling of of acknowledgement and interest and and makes you feel special, right? And I think that's a feeling that everyone feels. And, you know, when when you have these emotionally unavailable people, you know, and they just give you like little hard hard fought tokens of of attention, you know, and you like really like just bask in this little sliver of attention that you've received because you don't otherwise receive the attention that you're looking for from this person and it it gets the a feeling of like 
And I, I think it's not not. I mean, regardless of whether or not it's healthy or unhealthy, it's like easy to, in my eyes for, to get kind of sucked into that kind of cycle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and my 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 friend Kayla, who I uh, often talk to about this kind of stuff, has said that the reason that we like emotionally unavailable people is because deep down inside, it's like a sign that our subconscious believes that we are not worth being loved. So we, you know, feel like we deserve this poor treatment out of people. Um, And when we receive the more like equal or more like reciprocative kind of relationship, like emotionally available people who give us an appropriate amount of attention and emotional feedback, we feel turned off by that because we subconsciously feel like, oh, why is this person you know, love me or have some attachment to me because I don't deserve this. And therefore there's something wrong with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that is the psychology of it. And yeah, I don't really think I, well, on the one hand, of course I deserve to be loved, but on the other hand, maybe I don't. And that's why I like emotionally unavailable people. <laughs> Dan, you deserve to be loved. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, yeah, I know I do. I'm a cool guy. You're a cool you know? guy. Yeah, Ito Ito says that he drew inspiration from a classmate who died in a traffic accident, mm. and he just disappeared. And he he wanted to, to in order to deal with that or cope with it, he wanted to add it into his manga. Um, it, it, which is really interesting is the fact that he was a, huh? No, go ahead. Sorry. Just that he was a the I think was that he was a dental technician while he was working on this. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was—he's always—he's always drawn and and he's, he's worked on his own art. But I think like his segue, his his day job as a dental technician, <laughs> to pay the bills, and then he you know, has success with this one. Um. But yeah, I, I just think it's interesting how he went from one career to the next. Yeah, dental dental tech to <laughs> horror manga superstar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I also wanted to say, but going back to what you were saying, Dan, about the artwork, it's almost a. I, I was almost comparing it to German expressionist artwork, mm-hmm. right? A film. It's very loose and like a lot of jagged shapes and edges, mm-hmm. and it's it, kind of surreal. And I don't, I don't think. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if he was like rushed and his art hadn't been developed yet, but yeah, it looks very rushed and sort of half, not half ass, just very different consideration and what he and how he draws and the line weight and the line quality. It's, and after like the first chapter, it, it shifts. He gets his growth. Yeah. It gets yeah. better as it goes on. Mm. And I think that's I think that's just you know an, an author finding a style and and um, you know, getting better at his craft as time goes on. Also, I've heard mm. G pens are really hard to get the hang of. So if he was actually being a man- if he was actually pursuing manga um, as a career, you the standard tool is a G pen in Japan, and it's not like a dip pen, but it is like a dip pen, but it's like it's like a different beast. You have to like learn how to use it. Mm. Um, so that could also attribute to that. I know just because of, you know, doing illustration stuff, 
um, especially for school, uh, if you turn, you, you had to use a dip pen if you were doing any kind of illustration, like with ink or anything like that, you had to do dip mm. pen stuff. So, um, that could be a reason. So one, one other aspect of Tomie that I think is important, particularly important to note, and I think this relates back to, um, Ito as, as an author as a whole, because most of Ito's body of work are short stories, you know, like most of his, his most popular works are actual, like not exactly long form stories, but a, a bit more plot oriented, but the mm-hmm. vast majority you know, volume wise of his work are, are one-offs. And Tomie also is that way. Like I was saying, like there's not really an overarching plot. It's not like we, you know, start at point A and wind up at point B. You know, it's kind of just a collection of short stories with recurring characters that don't necessarily interact with each other. You know, these stories don't necessarily interact with each other, or play off each other. And I I think that's an important part of Ito's style is the idea of of not necessarily being plot or character focused, but being more atmosphere and vibe focused, mm-hmm. you know, more focused on the, the emotion of horror and the feeling that you get from watching this, the other an otherwise normal daily life being twisted around by something that is, you know, just a little beyond our understanding. Um, Rather than like, yeah, something happens to this character that I relate to. Um, but simultaneous to that, you know, Ito does all of these stories, you know, Gyo, Uzumaki, Tomie, all of them hinge on young people in relationships, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stories revolve, don't exactly revolve around these relationships. But they, you know, the relationships are a primary factor of consideration in these stories, you know, whether it's Tomie stealing um, people's boyfriends or in Gyo, you know, the main character is, you know, fighting so hard to rescue his girlfriend from, you know, the the machine. We'll talk about that later. And Uzumaki as well is all, it's guy and his girlfriend Mm -hmm. surviving, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So Ito does seem like... Um, very focused on people's relationships. And I'm wondering if maybe that's a, um, cause these, these aren't like tropey horror. It's not like he deals like, you know, like, Oh, if bad things happen to little kids, then people really get upset. So I'm going to have a lot of little kids. It's not like that. Um, but it does make me wonder if, you know, like, you know, how, how, how human relationships factor into Ito's work. Yeah. You know, I, I, would like somebody more studied in Junji Ito to talk about that. I wonder if that's why a lot of his characters are sort of generic looking. They sort of fit a lot of the main characters from story to story. Like Uzumaki and even Tomie, I feel like they're mm-hmm. the main protagonists have a very similar look. Mm-hmm. They're not that distinguishable from one another. Yeah, he has kind of a, a template character design mm-hmm. in my opinion but maybe because well you know i don't know if it's intentional but the idea that you can put yourself in their their shoes yeah self-inserting mm-hmm. i also found that um some of the character like i thought at one point that tomie came into uzumaki and i was like wait 
Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, but I'm reading Uzumaki, right? <laughs> yeah, because when you see the artwork, it is. Uh, there are times where I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'll see something online or I'll buy a t-shirt and I go, what the fuck, is this from which art? Like what <laughs> series is this from? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, Tomie, I don't want to rate them yet, quite yet. But let's I, rate I do. Here. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. I'm trying to think what else I want to say about it. There, the There's... One thing I don't like in horror or in like say zombie movies is this sort of wanting to desire to explain everything and to have this sort of scientific explanation. Mm-hmm. And, and they kind of, they, they kind of tackle it a little bit in this series, but they, it's kind of like left behind and they, they gloss over it um, because she's regenerating, right? There's gotta be a reason for this. Mm-hmm. And they do look, they, I think they end up looking at her cells or something along those lines. But she's kind of, she is like a cell. Like she multiplies and she grows and she's mm-hmm. sort of this uh, disease, if you will. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And it, Ito does walk a very fine line of yeah, explaining versus not explaining things, which I, I think is, is a good thing and speaks to his credit. And this is something that Mr. Super Eyepatch Wolf talks about in his video too. The idea that in so much horror, once you kind of understand, like eventually they explain the, you know, antagonizing horrific force and then it becomes a lot less horrific because if you understand it, you can develop strategies against it, you know, and, mm. and you can start to respond to it more appropriately in the short stories. Um, that never happens. Like Ito doesn't explain anything in any of the short stories. Mm-hmm. And in, in Tomie and Gyo, he like, I guess Gyo has the most explanation out of everything. Um, but also like, like all the, all these expl- explanations, like with Tomie, with Uzumaki, I guess he explains enough that it's believable, but not enough to make it plausible. Or like enough that it's plausible but not believable, you know. You get like a little scraps of information, you know. And in, in with Tomie, you know, like yeah, there's a sequence where the hospital doctors are performing experiments, and they understand that like, oh, Tomie is like this weird, you know, cellular structure, and it keeps reproducing and multiplying and blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, like also, what the fuck is that? Like we understand science and we understand cells multiply, but why is Tomie like that? That you know, that why is never explained. And I, mm. I think Ito does really well with creating non-trope horror that is like just a little beyond our comprehension. You know, it's things that draw from our daily lives and experiences and draw from our knowledge set. Like we all understand the spiral, we all understand fish, you know, but it's a little bit beyond our comprehension as to like how these things have become so twisted and, and horrific in these stories. Should we jump to Gyo? Yeah, let's jump into Gyo. Nope. Yo. So Gyo is the story of two young people vacationing in Okinawa, of which we have a, uh, a boyfriend who is the nephew of a crazy mad scientist in Tokyo and the girlfriend who has a really over the top 
she's OCD and she's got a uh, really particular sense of smell. She's really sensitive to smells, which is part of her angle of having OCD. And they discover a, uh, well, first the girl starts smelling stuff and she cannot escape the fucking, you know, pungent stench around her. They discover that the stench is coming from a dead fish attached to some kind of robot contraption and this that with legs and it's scurrying around real fast and propelling itself and kind of attacking them but they can't really figure out if it's actually trying to attack them and why it's trying to attack them and then suddenly there's more and more of these little dead fish on robot legs and then suddenly there's sharks and whales on you know robot legs chasing them around and before you know it the entirety of Japan is overrun by dead sea creatures on little robot legs that are just attacking everyone indiscriminately and then as the uh, fish start to you know kind of rot away they're replaced by humans and then all of a sudden uh, humans are attached to these little robot legs and they're all attacking people and they're attacking each other and you can't really understand why and they go into some of the through the the uh, mad scientist character they go through a little bit of of the um, origin story of all this that this was a um, viral weapon developed by the japanese army in world war ii um but and this viral weapon uh, produces gas inside uh, its host and the uh like really terrible smelling gas and it destroys their body is they're you know they and they get killed um and the army thought okay we can like send these you know disgusting gaseous things you know we'll infect like dogs and cats and send them into er enemy territory to irritate people with these pungent stenches but it didn't really work well enough because the animals died too quick so then they developed these little machines that um they would put these carcasses on and the gas from the carcasses would power the machines so they could run around and go through enemy territory, spreading their stench of death, the death stench, as they call it in, in EO. And yeah, eventually we come to see that the gas and, and the, yeah, the gas kind of has a life of its own and the virus kind of, has some degree of consciousness to it and it really is kind of waging this large-scale war on on the human race mm -hmm. and yeah it's all like yeah very disturbing and they feed you just <laughs> enough information to you know as i say it's like okay like i've explained it to you that makes sense right but then also you're like wait like, what? what like it what? doesn't actually make that much it sense. makes no fucking sense yeah and, and, and it's actually like yeah, even when it's on paper, it's still like a bit of a mind fuck. And mm -hmm. yeah, it yeah, it it just um there's various points in you know where things are ha like the uh you know, for example, the mad scientist character develops a new style of machine for the corpses. And then the old, the original corpse machines start attacking the new corpse machines. But you're kind of asking yourself, like, wait, why? Like, why exactly are they are they doing this? Why are they warring amongst each other? And it hints at something more, but that something more is never fully explained to you. And I think it's that little leap from kind of 
understanding and believability and plausibility that that little leap that Ito makes to just make it, you know, like we're not quite there. We're almost there, but we're not quite there. I think that's what really makes this stuff so horrific. What'd you think, Amelia? <laughs> Did you like this one? Um, I actually like honestly didn't have any idea of what Gyo was when I started reading it. Um, but as I as as I was reading it, it kind of seemed like uh, like uh, people are probably gonna get mad at me for this hot take, but it kind of seems like the Japan sinks of the Junji Ito stories, like. It went wild. (laughs) (laughs) It went out there. Like at one point they stumble upon a carnival (laughs) of of people (laughs) that are just like, yeah, "Yeah, we, we accept the, we accept the disease. We're not going to get it. Blah, blah, blah. And they're just like using all of these like dead creatures to like perform in their circus. And I was just like, um, (laughs) like, okay, this just got, unbelievable for me (laughs) like i could maybe Mm -hmm. got like have gotten behind the you know just like the death fish like attacking and becoming conscious but (laughs) that carnival man that that was what the heck (laughs) you couldn't just couldn't suspend disbelief on that one could you (laughs) yeah i also think the carnival is one of the weaker parts about all this yeah but the Great White, like that. Oh, that yes, that's famous. Stuck in my brain. Iconic. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was with it. I was with it up until that that carnival point. I actually, honestly, liked the um, the short story in the back. I don't know if you guys have the bigger volume. Yes. Um, the Galaxy story, or no, not the Galaxy story. The the Fault Line story. I felt like yes. that that one I wish was longer. There are two, yeah, there's two short stories in the back of the hardcover. The Sad Tale of the Principal Post, which yes. I think is okay. classic Ito style, as we're talking about. Yes, it's yeah. a short story with no explanation, and that's kind of the point, is that there's no explanation. There's literally just a dad that gets stuck under <laughs> the principal post of the house, and his family geeks the fuck out because their dad is getting crushed by the weight of the house. And they're like, here, let us rescue you. And the dad's like, no, don't rescue me. I'll die supporting this house. If you take out the post, uh, then the house will collapse. I will and die supporting house. this house. Yeah. And so he <laughs> dies. And the last frame is a corpse. The guy under the post. Yeah. He still Very remains short. under the principal post. And now no one will ever know how he ended up getting underneath it. Yeah, it's short. It's only like four pages. Yeah. Yeah. But I really liked that fault five line. pages. Um, that like weird. The super... enigma of Amigara fault. Yeah. Uh, like things that are like natural disasters that can turn supernatural are super interesting to me. Um, and I really wish that one was like longer. I wish we, I wish we got a little bit more of that. I would yeah. like to see that into a geo size kind of and like more explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think that one's really great. Mm-hmm. And again, we have some classic Ito sense of just throwing us into a situation that is like at once understandable, but also like way beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's the 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 taking it beyond our understanding is what makes his works unique. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it's the idea that the short stories is really similar or I don't know. It just makes me think of, of X-Files or mm. Twilight Zone mm. where you're able to, it's more impactful to have a shorter story. Like you said, Dan, that's not necessarily explained. Um, mm-hmm. That way you can get a bunch of ideas out. You can mm-hmm. sort of, you don't have to expand on this, you know, sort of um, exhausting plot. Yeah, I do. F- where, I feel like Tomie kind of falls into mm. as a criticism. Mm. How long is it, you know? How far does it go? Where does it end? Mm-hmm. I feel like horror plots need to be very well thought out before they're told, and telling stories that necessarily aren't about long running plots. I feel like are um, are like classic horror style. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like resonate with them. Like I want, <laughs> I want the longest story possible, but um, yeah. yeah. Yo ends very open-ended in this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it ends mm-hmm. with our main character just sitting next to the corpse of his girlfriend as he watches the, uh, you know, the oncoming wave of corpse machines. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, well, that's it. You know, world's <laughs> ended. I am over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but back I, to that. It, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. I just wanted to point out back to that interview I found. Um, I'm just going to quote what he said. But basically, he was just describing what he got the inspiration for for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, he just says, when I was a child, my parents, who were of the war generation, would tell me tragic and frightening war stories. So I naturally developed a strong awareness of war as a scary thing. What's more, as a boy, I was afraid of I would be drafted as a soldier when I grew up. This fear of mine naturally developed into an anti-war feeling. And I think this is reflected in my work. It's fascinating that Yo is supposed to be an anti-war thing, because that's not what I get from this whatsoever. Maybe it's the whole nuclear element, you know, these ships that were found on the bottom of the ocean, like, you know, this, this technology that was found is semi Godzilla ish. Mm. If you want to just stretch it, go for a stretch, mm. you know, this war against humanity sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess when Wars you, against humanity, when you say it like that, humanity. it makes me feel like the part with the mad scientists explaining how this, you know, viral weapon, uh, came and and the machines came to be makes me feel like this this was an intentional like clearly this this is an intended um theme that we're supposed to get from this that like oh war is so bad look they developed these you know real nasty weapons because of war and like you know if only there was no war there would be no nasty weapons here and so he's he's kind of um gone out of his way to put in an explanation that most of his works don't have mm. and yeah so that makes Gyo stand out a little bit and that mm-hmm. that does make a lot of sense to me uh but also that that theme is not drawn strongly enough in Gyo. Mm. like i do not read this and get a sense that this is supposed to be commentating on the horrors of war you know like at no point do i feel like it commentates on the horrors of war 
you know, my main <laughs> takeaway from this is not, oh, if only there was no World War II, then dead fish wouldn't be right. coming out of the ocean and, mm-hmm. and slaughtering Japan, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not he's not political at all. I don't think he ever really crosses that line. Yeah, I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good for the good. <laughs> I agree. Great art, though. Very detailed. Yeah. Um, I was like, like when I was reading this, I was like, man, y'all be y'all be getting Tomie tattoos, but there are some banger panels in here. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. And I'm yeah. just like, I why agree. aren't people getting these panels tattooed? Like, you some really good ones. Yeah, I'm like, y'all scared. Mm-hmm. Y'all scared <laughs> to have bubbly <laughs> pussy bodies on, on tattooed on you. You just I a pretty girl fart. with a hole in her head. I already fart like this, so I'm halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when Kar- but Kauru being all bloated and shit, yeah. ride that thing. Yeah. He, that's disgusting. Ew, you know that's what? That's like one of is... the most disgusting things I've seen out of his work. No, the most disgusting thing <laughs> is the tube coming out of her butthole. Well, yeah. That is the most disgusting literally, thing. I literally just passed that page. Oh my <laughs> God. Every time he draws it, I'm like, the fuck, dude? <laughs> Like, um, I'm going to say, so actually what I think is the most grotesque page is page 308, where the scientist's assistant tries to remove the tube from the girlfriend's mouth. Oh, but the girlfriend's shit. already yes. decomposing so much, so it yes. just kind of like tears the flesh because the flesh is melded to the tube and it's decomposition. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, yeah, that's that's gnarly, man. It's really uh, gnarly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally so bad i'm gonna take pictures of these so we can post them in the discord in case people want to join and actually like look at their shit yeah show notes show notes <laughs> i want to do more of that if you want to post well. the um interview that you um were reading off of too okay um yeah where's her butthole tube <laughs> panel <laughs> <laughs> let me post a big of some some tubular butts has anyone ever watched Human centipede. I feel like I have. Ooh, I I haven't seen it, but I remember it clearly. Also, there the so there's a bit of a butthole shot on page two hundred fourteen. Ah, I don't know if that's the butthole shot. But. Oh, that is that is the butthole shot. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> there's one where a fat, not the ex girlfriend, but a fat guy gets the. Tube yeah. up the butthole too. Um, fun fact about me: I am not about butthole play. <laughs> so that that disgusting. so that's two two forty page two forty is when the fat guy gets the tube up the butthole and it's got the shoop. Ew! Ew! Stop it! Don't put sound effects. Don't put what what page did you say? Gashong two forty page two hundred forty. Yeah, please the sound effects, man. Like what? Yeah, see, I have the I have the two volumes here, and I'm like, hmm. Two forty. What is I that? I guess because they're all this one's a two hundred pages or one hundred ninety pages. So, so they they made an anime adaptation of this. Yeah, I have not watched it. Oh, oh, but we have we have because it was on it was part of the panel of animes were like worst anime ever at otakon oh, in like 2018 damn. or something <laughs> oh, we did? shit you suck <laughs> <laughs> yo literally can we just talk about real quick before we get into uzumaki like 
people that adapt his work into either live action or anime do not do it justice whatsoever Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. single time. And I just like cannot comprehend because I feel like I've seen interviews of him where he has like a say in in like the production or like, you know, they consult with him on Mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm just like, why are you letting people like shit all over your work? Like, I don't know. Is that just me? Is that is that a unpopular opinion? Like, I just like, I think that's a popular opinion. I just don't understand the not like, I don't know, like maybe he doesn't have like so much of a say that I think he does, but like the movies, um, I watched like the first like 20 minutes of, um, Uzumaki because that's all that was like available online for free. Um, and I didn't have time to like order the DVD or anything, but they've Mm -hmm. also turned, uh, Tomie into a live action as well. I'm pretty sure. Um, or, you know, whatever I forget which ones, but, um, it is definitely like campy Japanese horror, kind of like, um, like house or like David Lynch style, like cinematography, but it's just like, it's like makes it funny for some reason. They're like, Mm. it's more comedic than the, than what the manga is. And I'm just like confused by the choice and same thing with like the anime adaptations. So the Junji Ito collection that, um, that dropped like last year or something, um, was just like a collection of short stories, but like the, the animation did not do the manga justice, like whatsoever I thought. And I'm just like confused at like why it keeps getting adapted into these other mediums Poorly. Yeah, and they're supposed to get a tsunami adaptation of the Uzumaki. Yeah, that I guess maybe next year will come out. Yeah, I'm very curious mm. to see that um, because of how like I don't know like the live action like I like and I like campy stuff like that like campy horror is like my thing. I love Slumber Party Massacre. That's like campiest book. But um, when it's in Japanese and it kind of like to me it's more comedic it comes off as more comedic than it does like campy or like uh maybe with like less intent they're like oh well let's just throw this out here you know yeah well, I think for one it's hard to animate his style mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it translates well from one medium to another mm-hmm. maybe if if it were a movie like an hour and a half long movie, it would work better because they would have a higher production mm-hmm. value or cost. I mean, um, and his- and it, it well, it's kind of like some of the stuff is so outrageous, like the circus. You would probably laugh at that. Yeah. Like it's sort of it's outlandish. So yeah, yeah. like it's silly. I, I some of it maybe just is silly on purpose. Mm. And I guess ultimately the director is the one responsible for how everything is put together, the tone and, you know, the final has a final word. Mm. Yeah. I'm just, why? (laughs) If someone did that to my work, I'd be like, excuse me. (laughs) Could you not anymore? Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. 
his because like the thing that I enjoy about his manga is that the um, the treatment of the characters and like the backgrounds of the panels are highly detailed. Like this isn't just like big eyed, doe eyed anime girls. You know, these like these are people that uh, I could see walking down the street and be like, oh, mm-hmm. like that's a real person. Um, so mm-hmm. it's like. I don't know where that sentence went, but it happened. <laughs> yeah, it's just super highly detailed, and I, I enjoy that. And I think that um, it's a lot different than a lot of uh, manga, like popular manga today, you know? Yeah, Junji Ito really has become synonymous with, with horror manga. I'm not even clear that there's other horror manga really happening, because when you think of horror manga, the conversation in a popular sense, tends to start and stop with Junji Ito. Yeah, which I find kind of um, peculiar because uh, in the backs of the books, um, it says that he's influenced by um, um, Hidashi Hino, which um, I only know Hidashi Hino from the um, live-action films that he makes, um, Hmm. Mermaid in a Manhole, um, something about a baby. Oh, um, yeah, um, yeah, the guinea pig series. Yeah, but... His, his work was manga before it was live action. So Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Let me let me fact check myself before I wreck myself. <laughs> but yeah, he was yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at like um The Red Snake and like Lullabies from Hell and Panorama of Hell and it's like uh he he was a also a horror manga artist before mm. um Junji Ito. Hell baby, that's what it was. Hell baby. Hell baby. Hmm. Hmm. And I do I, you know, a- I like find that interesting that like nobody talks about Hideshi Hino, but you know, they all I only ever usually hear like when you say horror manga, it's okay, Junji Ito. I wonder hmm. I wonder why that is. Hmm. Yeah, what's what's made him more prolific than other artists? Is it is it because of Viz? publishing stuff maybe is it yeah i I don't availability yes i don't in the anime too yeah yeah i I don't know how i don't know if this is correct or not but i would imagine that it really is just biz making the shit available in every barnes and noble Mm -hmm. you know yeah um because uh, Junji Ito made his debut in 1987. Um, but I feel like Hideshi Hino was like 80. So maybe it, it is directly affected by availability. So after Gyo came Uzumaki. Yeah, I think this is his. From my yeah, I get, I kind of get the feeling that Uzumaki is the most popular yes. in America, in the states, because mm. of. And we're talking about the tattoos, right? Yeah, Tomie and Uzumaki are the the two that I've known. Mm. Uh, I've known. I only knew about Tomie because of tattoos, honestly. Hmm. Okay. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> 
is someone really is someone gonna get an Uzumaki spiral tattoo you know what I mean <laughs> I guess there there aren't too many like iconic things from Uzumaki that you know oh I, I think is. the the image of the girl with the spiral in her hair head. yeah 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 those ones Absolutely. those that we were talking about that last night <laughs> um but so Uzumaki is about a um town a village in Japan um, that has been cursed by the spiral and um, you know the townspeople uh, start being becoming fascinated with um, this spiral pattern and it starts with the, the main character's um, dad um, uh, we have Kyrie Kyrie, Kyrie yeah. and um, Shuichi. Shuichi I'm literally red <laughs> <laughs> I read this like two days ago and I don't remember their um, names. So Kyrie and Shuichi are boyfriend and girlfriend and Kyrie finds um, Shuichi's dad like bent down um, in an alley looking at a, a snail shell and she tries to say hi to him um, but he doesn't he doesn't respond because he's so engrossed in this like snail spiral shell. Um, and she found it weird, uh, but didn't really mention anything until, you know, a day later when she's talking to Shuichi and a couple of other things have like occurred, um, regarding the spiral. And she's like, oh yeah, I saw your dad. He was like bent down doing this weird thing. It probably wasn't him though. Like it's probably someone else. And, um, mm. Shuichi's like, no, my dad's gone crazy. We don't know what's wrong with him. Like he, he just is fascinated with the spiral. And um, the dad later goes over to Kyrie's house because Kyrie's dad is a um, a potter or like does ceramics for the town and asks to make this spiral plate. And, um, you know, it's just like the art of the spiral, like you really understand. It's like so fascinating. He's like watching him like spin um, clay on this pottery wheel. And, uh, you know, that's where it all starts. And it just Uzumaki like throughout the series each character that you're introduced to you kind of get their perspective on the spiral or like what kind of spiral um has affected them and it becomes a thing that's like ingrained in the town like the town was built on a spiral or like these houses are built in a spiral um and it come it becomes more of like a like a folklore kind of situation yeah, this is one of the only few stories that I think ends in a way that is satisfying mm -hmm. for like long form storytelling. Yeah, compared to Tomie, um, it kind of yeah, it's just very satisfying. I don't want to give away. It's been out for a while. I guess if you guys want to spoil yes. things, <laughs> Dan's like, I will always spoil things. No, 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 no,
spirals is scary. <laughs> it made me, and it made me so much more aware of like spiral patterns in everyday life. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to end up like these people. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you were yeah. done, you saw a snail in the plants outside. And yes. we're like, ah! Yeah. The leaves started it's curling. <laughs> that's the genius of it all though. Yeah. I think that's. Yes. Mm-hmm. For this one particular yeah so like people so um shit just starts spiraling literally like people's hair starts spiraling um in the live action they really focused on this one boy who kept like like peeking out to scare kyrie and uh um <laughs> like the town so the town was built like forever ago the viral curse that was put on the town was built into like the foundation. So it keeps getting like it like wanes in and out um, of people being alive and then not having the curse and living out their daily life. And then the cur- then the curse starts all over again in a cycle and brings the town to this like brink of destruction and despair and pulls it almost into the earth. Kind of a stairway to heaven. Yeah. Or hell. hell. To hell. <laughs> It's very gradual too. Mm-hmm. There's no way, you know, reading it, you go, oh, this is going to be the, this is how it's going to end. This is, there's nothing alluding yeah. necessarily to the entire town being built on this infrastructure. Yeah. The spiral. I think it's, uh, I think what's really cool is like the seeing the progression of each character that um, comes into the spiral situation and like how, how their descent into the curse, like, um, affects the people around them and affects the town as a whole. You know, it starts out with like people that are affected by this spiral curse, um, you know, eventually just like pass away. And when they're cremated, um, their body like smoke from the cremation process goes up into the atmosphere and starts to create a spiral, which like affects more people because they're, you know, breathing in, you know, the smoke or they're seeing the smoke, they're seeing the spiral. They're getting like the curse, like ingrained into their like DNA basically. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then it like progresses into like natural disaster territory, which like I am all a fan of natural disaster stuff. I don't, I think that's like, another one of the genres that like I'm really drawn to just because like I think natural disasters are like crazy and like unpredictable and like and I want to know how to survive them you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but so then it gets into this natural disaster thing where like you find out that like you can't even leave the town if you wanted to so anytime you try and get out of the situation you're in to like get away from the spiral curse you're like thrown exactly back into it yeah right because they they try to leave this tunnel right Mm -hmm. and then eventually they end up in the exact same position as they were before right they're they're literally just going in circles they're literally going in a spiral (laughs) damn tsunamis yeah yeah destroy the uh destroy this island yeah and this and it's all it all surrounds this one pond and the pond uh, is like, um, like what does it do? It's like su- it sucks up all of the like natu- natural disasters. So like the hurricanes are coming, and it's just like literally like wreaking havoc on the town, and then like sucking itself into this like whirlpool into the ground. Mm-hmm. 
and you know the townspeople are trying to like um survive because like there's just like hurricane or i guess tsunami tsunami after tsunami after wait tsunami tsunamis are like the big waves we're talking about typhoons typhoons yeah okay yeah yeah, okay so there's like typhoon after typhoon and they're like outside people are trying to like send rescuers in to like help them and get them out and you know it turns into like a situation where the people are um where the people are just like we're we're accepting this we're accepting the curse we're gonna fly around in these things and like eat all the oh my god i forgot about the snail people yeah shit so i feel like this part of the of the story is a complete departure right it's sort of like post-apocalyptic yeah there yeah world building Mm -hmm. and it doesn't even feel like you're in tokyo anymore you're literally isolated in this part of the region yeah it kind of to me it felt like what it felt like the village that he like higurashi is like based on not like that it is but i was just like oh this is like higurashi village like these people are crazy like weird stuff happens to them because they live in this crazy remote village but yeah so there's like this um there there's this kid that (laughs) turns into a snail and then later on you see like more and more people turning into snails and they turn into Mm. like emergency food and they're like, Oh yeah, we got to keep you around (laughs) so that we can eat you later. Cause your meat's so good. And then the meat is like tainted. I feel like with the curse. And so they're eating the meat (laughs) and then like, so like, I don't know. It's, (laughs) it just gets survival. It's like a survival manga. Yeah. It's survival show. And, and, and yeah, the idea that these that some people develop ability to fly around, yeah, as if they're a, they they've evolved. Mm-hmm. I guess sort of another thing like this evolution of man because of the spiral. Yeah, well, I guess all uh, a lot of his work has you know evolution of man. You know, you have the the germ that turned into like the death stench that turned into people mm. being part of the death stench, and then you know Tomie with all the regener- regeneration and. Uh, yeah, the Uzumaki with the uh, people that can fly and the snail people and um Yeah. Another thing that they'd play with is time in this towards the end of the, the story. Mm-hmm. Um you don't know how much time has passed in between uh this uh, disaster situation mm-hmm. where everyone's trying to survive. Yeah, when when the characters are like, wait, we've been out here for weeks, I was like, What? <laughs> Mm-hmm. In my mind, it's been a day because I just turned the page from the last chapter. <laughs> but yeah, that's insane. and then you go, well, maybe it's been years. Yeah, and then it's decades. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of like, well, how like the people born? Did the people born in the town even like know? Oh, originally, yeah. So like, if you're if you're born there, like, do you even know what the what the the timeline that you're living in is? Oh, I see. What you you know, you're just like you grow up and you know do whatever, but like, how long has it been? Hmm. Dan, did you did you read through all this one? Uh, not in a while. The entire. Okay. Is it coming back to you? I remember. All? I remember all this stuff. Hmm. But I don't remember it in great detail. Yeah. It's got kind of a happy ending, right? Because our two main characters escape with their lives. Not really. Oh. Um, well, they well, okay. So they do. They do in a way. They end up going down 
the spiral into the into the earth and everyone turns to stone essentially mm-hmm. like they they everyone starts to spiral in, in, into each other and around each, into other, each other and they start to yeah. m- like meld body meld isn't that another yeah. horror movie hmm. so there's like this world it's cavernous right, world that yeah. exists yeah yeah and you're like oh it's kind of atlantis <laughs> spiral atlantis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feel like, very imaginative. Yeah, a lot of a lot of these works could be summed up with like stoner statements, you know, like with Gyo. <laughs> it's like, dude, what if like the fish attacked us, you know, or like Tomie, just like, yo, what if there was this girl that was really hot and you like wanted to stab her. <laughs> You know, and <laughs> Uzumaki is kind of the same way. Like, like whoa, dudes! Like, dude, what, what if, if like, like spirals? Spirals <laughs> takes a bong rip. Yeah. <laughs> spirals. Yeah, the fault line one is like, what if there were like holes in the ground, and you fit in them. <laughs> Bill, Bill and Ted. We should just we should just do a whole series of Bill and Ted <laughs> dubbings. <laughs> dub, dub over the old movies, oh. and we'll show we'll show pictures of U- Uzumaki. <laughs> Party on, dudes! Yeah, I. But I I think the way like you know as we comically sum these things down to stoner statements, I think that's part of the genius of of uh, Junji Ito in general is that all of these things are like somewhat simple premises that yeah are not tropey that revolve around things that we see in our everyday lives or things that we like understand how we interact with. But then there's, yeah, something that's just a little beyond, beyond our comprehension about them that, you know, is, is what is so horrific and what makes them antagonize us. Mm. Like we all know what a fish is, but have you ever seen a fish attack you? You know, and what would that even look like? Yeah. You know, this is what it looks like, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uzumaki was probably my favorite out of all of them, just because it was like such a crazy descent into the madness that is of this town. Uh, you know, super linear story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I had I had read when I originally read this, I only read maybe a third of it. And um so when I bought the the full the full thing here and I would read it before bed every night. Oh. And Damn. and like I yeah, I would like look I would look forward to it every night. I was like, I can't wait to see what happens next. What you did know? you read it chapter by chapter? I would do like two chapters. Oh, okay. I read it like in two days. I was like, I'm reading all of this right now. And then I would be like, I'm sleepy. Yeah. I'd, 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 it didn't give you nightmares, Jeff. It's scary. Um, I don't remember having nightmares from it, but I remember it affecting my mood for sure. Mm. I just like <laughs> my general uh sense of well-being <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's because i was reading it every night i did the same thing with tomie mm. i would sort of read it in in small bits at night um 
much much scarier that way for sure and i don't really do a whole lot of reading in general with with horror um especially like novels Mm -hmm. so to have a visual aid i think makes it a little bit more maybe more enticing Mm. but the thing about horror is that you don't really you know if you're if you're creating these crumbling up with these images like let's, let's just say this was all uh one novel right no pictures no graphics like what would you how would you imagine all this mm. isn't that maybe more terrifying if you had to come up with these <laughs> the visuals for this yeah. i don't really i can't compare it to really you know to anything that that's been written mm-hmm. um but i know there's people who love um Stephen, you know, Stephen King. Yeah, I for me, um, horror is such a visual thing that, or like, visual, like, uh, I guess, I don't know. Because like, we're reading, you know, you're, you're looking at the images, but mm-hmm. these are like, drawn images. And I'm thinking more like, um, more like, lifelike, like, live action kind of stuff. Mm. Um, it kind of like, doesn't do the same thing that like a horror movie would do for me. Mm. I don't really feel like it's like scary per se. Like it is, it is like about horrific things, but to me, like these kinds of like manga aren't like super scary. I don't like get nightmares from them. I'm, you know, like I can imagine what it might look like in real life, but like, unless some, like, unless someone adapts like these, (laughs) I'm looking at a panel where like, um, this person has like these like crazy pointy warts all over their foot. And I'm just like, hmm. if I saw that in a live action movie uh, with like, you know, pus and blood or like, I don't know, redness and stuff, maybe I would be more mm-hmm. scared. Maybe it would mm-hmm. be a little bit more impactful, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. And there's no music. You don't have music sound effects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the building of tension is different yeah it's mm-hmm. like more up to you if you want to turn the next page or how fast you want to read to the next panel and i mm-hmm. find that when i'm reading manga i sometimes have to read a manga twice because the first time i'm just like let me get through this i need to know what's happening i need to know here's the dialogue blah blah blah, blah. and i don't right. really necessarily stop and look at every picture and like take it in as i should so then like the second time i'm like okay calm your ass down, like take it slow. <laughs> but, um, so maybe that's just like how I, how I, I consume it. But, but when you have a work like this, that's so detailed, you, yeah. When you, when you take your time with it and you look at every panel you go, wow, like there's so much work that's been put into this. Mm-hmm. You kind of, it kind of affects your, rate of sp- uh, reading a little bit, mm-hmm. like you're saying, mm-hmm. uh, instead of just finding out how the plot develops. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't always necessarily need the, the bubbles to tell you <laughs> what's happening. That's true. Which is a, which is a good indication of a, of a great artist, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you can communicate. And, you know, that's why storyboard artists are very um, important. Not important, but... but the fine and a good one is, I think, I believe, is a lot harder to do. Mm-hmm. They're more prized, especially in live action. Mm-hmm. When I was in art school, I was horrible at storyboarding. Oh, I would have been horrible at that. 
Yeah, the idea of time in art form in that time medium is that conceptually is a mind fuck to me. <laughs> how do you make things? How, how do you ha, how do you make something make sense in a logical sense? And you can only if the only way you can can show it is visually with no words. It's very challenging. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I guess this sort of ends our general discussion. I mean, there's there's other works. I did buy Shiver. Yeah, I saw Shiver. And this is just a it's a collection of work. They're very short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little newer, I believe, when it was published. Um, I think the artwork is just as good for the most part. Um, storytelling's all right. Some of them are kind of silly. Um, there's one story about uh, this model. This is one. This is actually one that's been adapted in the Ito Jinji collection. Uh, the guy, this guy is looking for a model for a movie mm-hmm. for a project. And as they do. Yeah. And she stumbled, he stumbles upon this girl with a very long face. She kind of looks like a, like a shark or a fish. <laughs> and he's like, who the f-? like, she's disgusting. I don't, I don't want to, you know, but they only have three options. And the other two options are, they're, it's okay. Um, but she ends up at the audition hmm. for this short film. Um, and she ends up murdering them all, as you would imagine. That fish girl murdered people. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she's she's terrifying. Like, why would you even give her a chance? Oh, you know what? I oh, yeah. I saw I saw that episode. I saw that episode. Yeah. It's pretty similar, but I the it's just like you said before, it, it became kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Like, look at that. Yep. I mean, that's not. That's like a highly detailed, like, <laughs> and yeah. it just like yeah. shat all over it in the anime. <laughs> and I get yeah. that that's hard to do. It's hard to animate for manga, you know? But like, man. My goodness. Does this end your journeys as far as Ito Junji goes for you two? Like, are you going to seek out more? Um, I definitely want to read Tomie. That was I wanted to read that, but also um, I ran out of time. Um, but I definitely want to read Tomie. Um, I liked dissolving classroom of that one's pretty good. It's like a short. Hmm. It's like a it's a cohesive like plot, but it's told in like short story style, um, with a, like a conclusion. Uh, that one was good. Um, it's short. Took me like a half hour to read. Um, okay. But yeah, I think I'm definitely going to dive in more. I want I want to watch the live action movies because um, I need to see. <laughs> I need to see it. I need to understand. Yeah, I think Tomia could actually go pretty well as a live action. Movie. Yeah, I agree. You don't you don't need you don't need every story in that book to tell a fleshed out film. Yeah, I don't think so either. And and I think you could adapt. Like if you took a collection of stories, you could adapt it into a more linear, protagonist-oriented um, story and plotline that would still feel effective and just kind of like draw influences from all the other stories, you mm-hmm. know. Um, 
Yeah, I, I feel compelled to go buy Uzumaki because it seems silly to me to own Gyo and Tomie but not own Uzumaki. Yeah, you know. same. I'm like, hmm, I gotta go buy Tomie now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gotta, so, I gotta complete my book collection. Yeah, so I'll go buy Uzumaki at some point and read it, but uh, am I going to seek out the other more obscure um, short story collections? Nah, probably not. Not And not... Not for any particular reason beyond I'm, I'm just like not really that into horror stuff anyway. So mm-hmm. there's other things mm-hmm. I'm more interested in. I will say that before this, I was kind of like, okay, like, yeah, I get it. He's, you know, we love him. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> we all stand. But like after reading it and like uh, looking at the artwork, like we stand, okay? Like he's good, yeah. okay? <laughs> like, yeah, lives I get up to the hype. Yeah, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just do not like what they what they do with it. <laughs> like, stop adapting it, please. Just let it be what it is. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? Uh, I think I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Jeff says, yeah, I, I have almost the whole collection, and I love him so." <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to be a self-proclaimed. I am a self-proclaimed fan. I'll say that, but I'm not like, I'm not going to like fly to Japan to meet him, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. thing. What if we were all going to Japan together and then like, he just so happened to be at somewhere one day. Then I would. (laughs) (laughs) There's an interview with him um, on a crunchy roll. I can't remember the guy's name. I think he's, he's Korean. He's got the long hair. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're in this haunted house, and he's just like interviewing Ito. Um, he just seems like a normal dude, like a dad almost, yeah. just like chill dad uncle man. <laughs> dad he uncle. He goes downstairs to this pot, and he's like, <laughs> "What if they like attacked us?" He's like, "Fish, maybe weird." <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah, you think he'd be sort of a eccentric dude with yeah. wears all black all the time mm-hmm. and you know wears sunglasses at night. <laughs> but he's not like that. He's just I wanted to yeah, he's the kind of person you might want to sit down and talk to and hang out with. Which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think I'm gonna keep buying some of his stuff. Complete, complete a collection because I don't really do that too often, especially with manga. Mm-hmm. I think I stopped buying manga after my first phase of fandom, if you will, mm-hmm. like my, and then I just didn't care enough. But I think because it's it does take well, like any other medium, any other um, physical medium takes up space, mm-hmm. and I was already buying anime DVDs plus records, so I, I don't know. I think. Yeah, You're like, eventually, I can't take up any more physical space. <laughs> eventually, yeah. you got to prioritize. Yeah, I mean, for mm-hmm. me, um, I only recently started buying a lot of manga this year. Um, so I would definitely buy more. But I like to have it in my hand. I feel like the I feel like it's um, it's what we should do to support the artist, you know. Mm-hmm. I've tried reading manga on e-readers in my phone. I find it really challenging, especially the phone, because mm-hmm. you, you got to zoom in and you like hold the mm-hmm. phone up to your face, and by the time you're done, you you got this eye strain. 
from looking yeah. at your phone. You're looking at it for hours a day anyway. So yeah, it just the only yeah, things that I read um, on my phone are things that I'm also watching the anime of. So like when I was commuting to work, I would read To Love Rue because I was reading. I was also watching To Love Rue at the same time. So I would read the chapters and then watch the episode when I got home. Mm. But it is so challenging to read on your phone. Yeah. On the computer is not too bad. Um, it's actually more, it's more preferable than the phone. Mm. But uh, the flipping through the pages, it's not like back in the day when, when they, when Kindle came out, right? And everyone was saying, oh, I'm not going to switch. There's no way I'm switching over to an e-reader. Uh, and yet here we are. People, I think, I wonder, I wonder if more people read books from an e-reader now than actually buy a physical book. I wonder what the sales are. Yeah, I don't know, but for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that weirds me out because like uh, buying, uh, I don't know, buying like not physical copies of things weirds me out. Like what, where, what, what happens if it goes away and then I mm-hmm. just like wasted my money. So I would much rather have like the physical copy of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd be like, that's where my money went right there. I feel the show. same way. <laughs> but like that's, but to be fair, if I'm going to, you, if I'm going to buy a video game, I'm going to buy the the downloadable kind. Hmm. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah. As of 2019, apparently the physical books still outsell ebooks. Hmm. Hmm. But even though prices of books on the e-reader are cheaper, even the manga, usually you can get them like half, half the price. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to read Vinland Saga next. Ooh. Have you watched it? Yeah, I watched it. I just, I, I'm tired of waiting for the next. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt, I felt the same way, and I also, over a period of several weeks, uh, read the next story arc at various Barnes and Nobles around Minneapolis nice. when I had the opportunity. <laughs> um, and it is absolutely fucking amazing. It's truly outstanding. Yeah, I've been thinking and about Vinland Saga people, a lot and I, recently. People, uh, I know people like think poorly of the next story arc because ostensibly it is very slow and people claim that it's boring they're wrong because <laughs> slow does not equal boring mm. you know it builds mm-hmm. uh, very very nicely i was just thinking about that I, I, way off topic but there's there's a new um i think i told you about the show raised by wolves yes and- yep 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 science fiction show and very slow but it it's just so much more rewarding when you can flesh out a story and then the payoff at the end is much greater yeah yeah and the payoff the payoff of the next storyline really is uh like the the climatic moments just just absolutely shook me man uh, really powerful stuff and with what you were saying about ashitano joe yeah how slow that i mean that's considered to today's standards is considered slow i think yeah i, I think it could be said that ashita no joe is slow but the yeah for being slow it does a good job of building very nuanced character relationships and this is something that jeff and i were talking about over text the idea that you know, people teach college classes about Neon Genesis Evangelion, and I think you could teach a college class about Vinland Saga or Legends of the 
galactic heroes or berserk because these are things that are really thematically powerful and, and dense and you know there's a lot you can pull apart and talk about mm-hmm. and in that way i think you could teach a high school class about ashita nojo or like cover that in a high school literature class and i mean that is a compliment not that it's not up to the same standard of berserk or something like that but more like you know it is thematically interesting and everything is very easily communicated and, and telegraphed and it's really clear cut like you know the nuanced frenemies relationship between rikishi and joe and you know what it says about honor and about you know manliness and um you know how these things balance towards maturity and you know the uh the kind of complex relationship between nishi joe and and their trainer you know I, I think this stuff is just as poignant and applicable and interesting than anything that i actually read in my literature classes in high school which supposedly dealt with the same topics but did nothing but bore me to tears and you know make me feel really aggravated that i had to read fucking lord jim and shit like that mm-hmm. can you imagine reading jinji ito's work uh in <laughs> middle school hell yeah like like all right class choose a choose a you know choose a graphic novel you'd like to read <laughs> hell yeah they just choose bloating <laughs> people with gas yeah i mean the butts. bloating fart corpses <laughs> but farts this is not what i meant class this is not what i meant <laughs> yes this is <laughs> oh man <laughs> All right. Well, that is our show, I think. Go read his work. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> I give it 10 shocking page turns out of 10. Lives up to the hype and then some. Yes, please. Please.